The following podcast contains explicit content and is not suitable for all listeners. According to Statistics Canada, nearly 1 in 5 women and 1 in 71 men have been raped in their lifetime. According to statistics from reported cases, the actual statistic is estimated to be higher due to the frequency of unreported assaults. In 2015, close to one half or 48% of all solved homicides involving a female victim were committed by a spouse or other intimate partner. Family members, other than a parent, were perpetrators in 22% of female homicides, followed by casual acquaintances at 14%, parents at 6%, strangers at 6%, and criminal acquaintances at 3%. On November 25, 2017, a 22-year-old woman vanished after a night out. When her mother discovered her body four days later, just steps from where she was last seen, police were heavily criticized for errors in the investigation. Initially believed to be an accident, her autopsy instead revealed her death to be a homicide. This is the story of Tess Ritchie. Tess Ritchie was born on November 30, 1994 in North Bay, Ontario, Canada. She was very close to her mother, Christine, and sisters, Verena, Jenna, Rachel, Haley, Deborah, Amanda, and Catherine. I'm not sure of the family situation. There's no mention of her father in her obituary. And three sisters have a different last name, none of which match the mother's. So I assume they are half-sisters from the mother or the father. It doesn't matter one way or another. I just like to get as much information about the person I'm covering as possible. It's stated that she came from a close-knit family, and there are many references to her love and protectiveness for her family. Tess moved from North Bay to Toronto, Ontario, Canada, after graduating from Whittyfield Secondary School, which is her high school. She worked as an assistant manager at the Days Inn Hotel in North Bay while in school to save for college. While her sister Rachel described her as, quote, spoiled rotten, as the youngest child, she also praised Tess's work ethic, saying how hard she worked to chase her dreams. North Bay is located 330 kilometers or 210 miles from Toronto and has a population of just 51,533 as of 2016. And by comparison, the city of Toronto, which is also the capital of Ontario, has a population of 2,794,356 in 2021. The Greater Toronto Area, which I've discussed in a previous episode, also includes the suburban area surrounding the city, and in total the population is recorded at 6,712,341 as of 2021. Upon moving to Toronto, Tess began studies at Seneca College in their flight services program, and she was working part-time jobs to pay for her life in the big city. She primarily worked at a downtown coffee bar, 
and after she graduated from the program, she began applying at multiple airlines and hotels in Toronto. Unfortunately, her goal of working and traveling seemed at a standstill, as she couldn't find work. So being the hard worker that she was, she began applying to be an au pair in Italy and studying the language to prepare herself. She really had her heart set on traveling and was working hard to make those dreams come true. I'm not exactly sure where Tess was living at this point in 2017, as it states she previously lived in the East End, but regardless, she was out and had gone missing while in the Church Wellesley neighborhood. Now, I have to interject here because I also had my first apartment in the same area back in 2006 to about 2008. Known for its large LGBTQ community, this neighborhood sits just slightly southeast of Yorkville and northeast of the large Eaton Center Mall, which you may have heard of, just to help give some reference. It's also 3.5 kilometers or 2.1 miles northeast of the CN Tower, another point of reference if you aren't from Toronto. It's been about 14 years since I've lived there and I still have such fond memories. I really loved the energy of the neighborhood. It was like being in a smaller town in the big city with cute shops, restaurants, and bars, and a bit of history with some older buildings. But you'd walk two blocks and feel like you were back in the city of Toronto. I just loved it. But being a city, it also had other elements, such as a burger spot just south of where I lived known as Hooker Harvey's, and various nearby homeless shelters and addiction services and rehabs. I once was chased into my apartment by a homeless-looking woman who I thought was just wanting money and scared me when she ran at me, but it turns out she just ended up needing a tampon, which I, of course, stopped to give her. I also worked late at night at a bar downtown and would routinely come home around 5 a.m. to see women standing on the corner, but they were always friendly towards me. So while, yes, there were unsafe elements, I also felt extremely safe living there. And as I said, I really haven't been to that area in years as I moved to the West End, which might as well be a suburb because it takes about 20 to 30 minutes to get downtown driving or on the subway, depending on traffic and where you go. But in 2020, I took a two-day workshop located there in that area and I walked around. And even in 2020 with COVID at its height, it had the same feel to me. It was summer, so people were out and about. So again, I can't speak to 2017, but I think likely it felt just as safe to Tess, which is important to the story. I think a lot of the time we hear stories about women being killed and we hear they were out late or drinking, and that is somehow meant to be relevant to why they were killed. But in actuality, yes, darkness and nighttime in general allows for less people to see you killing someone, and in that aspect it is relevant. But as a warning that women out late will be harmed, it's sickening. Women should be able to be out at night and not be murdered. Period. On November 23rd, 2017, Tess called her sister Rachel, who lived in the city, and who she was very close with, to meet up, as she had just broken up with her boyfriend, Julian, and was heartbroken. Rachel described Tess as her, quote, soulmate. And of course, invited her sister over to give her support during the difficult time. Tess came by and spent most of the day with Rachel, talking about the breakup, hanging out, and going for a walk to the nearby dog park. They also did a bit of shopping along the way. 
That evening, Rachel made some dinner for Tess, but being in an emotional state, wasn't very hungry, and Rachel had to convince her to eat something. Tess decided she needed to have some fun, and so she made plans with a friend from high school who she hadn't seen in years, but who had recently moved to Toronto, a woman named Riley Simmerd. Rachel's partner ordered Tess an Uber, and she left to go meet Riley at Cruz and Tango's, which is a very popular drag bar in the Church Wellesley neighborhood that offers dancing, karaoke, and live performances. Tess sent a text message to her sister upon arriving to let her know she made it safely, which was common for her, and then grabbed a beer and took some videos of herself while waiting for Riley. Once she got there, the two friends began drinking and dancing the night away and had a lot of fun. Being just 5'2 and a marathon runner, Tess was a petite woman, and having not ate that much either during the day, the alcohol was hitting her, and by 2.15 a.m., she and Riley had been asked to leave the bar and were escorted out. Not at all uncommon, I've had many a night like this myself, especially in my early 20s. And at this point, Tess and Riley are both quite intoxicated and are stumbling a bit and are unsteady on their feet. The two have a smoke out front of the bar and are seen heading north on Church Street from the bar's security footage. The next morning, beginning at 8.45 a.m., Rachel begins texting Tess, but by that evening, she still hadn't heard back and became concerned. Police were contacted, and a missing persons investigation began to locate Tess. I'd like to take this moment to thank you for listening to my podcast. The concept behind femicide is very close to my heart, and I hope through these stories we can shed a light on the abuse, violence, and sexual assault that women face daily. This podcast is 100% a woman-run operation. I write, record, and edit every single episode myself. As I mentioned in my last episode, I have recently brought on someone to help with the research on some upcoming episodes just to help me out and to help continue to share these important stories. So to help support me and my efforts, I have started a Patreon account. And if you aren't familiar with Patreon, it is a membership-based platform designed to allow fans to support and connect with their favorite creators. So sign up today online at patreon.com or via the Patreon app, and I will leave a link in the show notes of this episode. As always, I will be donating 10% of all gifts received and memberships each month to various charities that help support women. The charity I'll be donating to for the month of March 2022 is Women Abuse Council of Toronto. Women Act works collaboratively to eradicate violence against women through community mobilization, coordination, research, policy, and education. Gifts, while deeply appreciated, are not the only way you can show support. It'd mean a lot if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review, as it really helps to bring awareness to these stories. And please don't forget to share with your friends and families, because word of mouth is the best review of all. Tess shared a Fitbit plan and used her mom's credit card for her Uber account. And so Rachel notified their mother, Christine, about Tess missing, and her mother looked deeper into her notifications from the night before. They found records of Tess walking about 300 feet after 3 a.m. and that an Uber was ordered but had been canceled. 
They weren't sure who had canceled it, but this fact worried them even more. How did Tess get home then? What happened to Tess? Police began their investigation, but 41 Division was notified instead of 51 Division where she was last seen. It states that she previously lived in the area of 41 Division, which is in the east end of the city in the area of Scarborough. But there's no mention that I could find of where she lived at the time of her disappearance. The Uber was ordered at around 4 a.m., and there was a series of notifications that the driver had attempted to call Tess that she never answered and wasn't at the designated pickup spot. Christine, Tess's mother, drove the three-and-a-half-hour drive to help look for her daughter. She enlisted the help of her friend, Anne, whose own daughter had been friends with Tess since elementary school and was working as a nurse at the nearby St. Michael's Hospital. The two began canvassing the area Tess was last seen, posting flyers, searching the area, and asking if anyone had seen her. It was during this canvassing, on November 29th, that they made a gruesome discovery. They noticed a stairwell at a construction site at 582 Church Street. Her mother stated, quote, There was just something very eerie about that construction site. It was drawing me. I just think if I were to follow my gut instinct, I would have found her sooner. We started opening up trash cans and stuff, and sadly, in the stairwell, she was found. It looked like a graveyard, like a grave plot, very narrow, and I can't imagine the nightmare that she lived. End quote. She said she was still hoping her daughter was alive when she found her. Quote, I know. I'm told I did the right thing by not contaminating the crime scene, but really I wish I would have just grabbed her and held her tight. I just wanted to get an ambulance there quickly in case she was just unconscious. End quote. But she wasn't unconscious. Sadly, 22-year-old Tess Ritchie was deceased. At 4 p.m., police were notified and the scene was secured. I believe this building used to be a restaurant of some kind, if I remember correctly. It's hard to find what it is now, but it is a historic building, and I'll have pictures of it on my Instagram, at femicide underscore podcast, if you're interested. I have photos of every case I cover on that Instagram page, and I share when new episodes are released, so definitely check that out. Initially, police believed Tess likely fell as she'd been intoxicated the night before, but her autopsy would reveal that she'd actually died of neck compression, and her death was instead ruled a homicide. This is when the police investigation really increased, and surveillance footage was located and the area canvassed properly, looking for any information about what happened to Tess. The police began piecing together the events of the night of November 24th and found multiple sources of security footage. They even found footage showing Tess and an unidentified man going into the stairwell, with the man exiting alone. They released this man's image to the media in hopes of identifying him. And luckily, just a few months later, on February 4th, 2018, 21-year-old Kalen Schlater was arrested, and on February 5th, he was charged with second-degree murder in the death of Tess Ritchie. 
police now had the timeline of events for the evening Tess was murdered. On security footage from the bar, they found Kaylin had briefly spoken to Riley, who had been looking to light her cigarette, and he had been milling around outside the bar talking to a few different women and groups of people. He had actually kissed a woman earlier, but she ultimately left with another man. And after Tess and Riley walked away heading north on Church Street at about 2.22 a.m., he waited briefly and then followed behind. As it turned out, he would often wait outside bars and mingle with people looking for a woman to pick up. And he was seemingly alone at the bar that night, although he spoke with many different groups of people. They met again by the Pizza Pizza at the corner of Wellesley and Church, and although Tess tried to hail a taxi to go home, Kaylin waved it off, and the three got hot dogs from a nearby vendor cart. They then proceeded further north along Church Street and ran into a woman who was outside of her home on Dundonald Street, just a couple doors down from the Church Street intersection, and was talking with her neighbor when she heard a commotion and the three came up alongside her. They had sprayed mustard on the hot dog vendor's cart, and the woman named Michelle said, quote, they were laughing and it seemed like they were running, like they had just been up to some kind of mischief, end quote. Tess apologized for being loud, and they struck up a conversation, even exchanging numbers. Michelle said that Tess was laughing, but that there was pain in her eyes, and that she was very upset about the breakup. They spoke for roughly 20 minutes, and Michelle gave Tess some words of encouragement, to which Kalen placed his hand on her shoulder and stated, quote, I've got this, it's okay, end quote. The three left Michelle, and it was then that Riley apparently got a text from her own boyfriend telling her to come home, and Tess got upset that she was leaving, and the two argued briefly before Riley ultimately left, heading west towards Young Street leaving Tess alone with Kaylin. They then walked to the construction site and sat outside on a bench while Tess ordered an Uber. Footage showed them getting up from the step and going to the stairwell, but the video is choppy here, and although Kaylin says they kissed after getting up, it isn't able to be verified. Kaylin's version of events from this point is debatable and unlikely, But he says that she asked to kiss him and then asked him to follow her down the driveway and led him to the stairwell. But I can't find anything from him stating what actually happened in the stairwell. What we do know from the footage is that they were walking hand in hand along the driveway and that he left the driveway alone. There is no footage from the stairwell to show if he attacked her or forced her down there that I can find. So if you have more information, again, please share and comment on my Instagram. The prosecutor stated at trial, quote, We will never know what Kaylin Schlater said to Tess Ritchie as they walked up Church Street to convince Tess to walk in the dark at 4 a.m. with a man she just met, end quote. I found information stating that Tess had been sexually assaulted, but I cannot confirm that fact 100% because other articles only speak about how she was choked to death. Although I do believe that she was and that he was convicted of that. I just found varying reports, so I don't want to state it factually if I can't confirm. Kaylin, as it turns out, was, quote, obsessive 
about watching violent porn, which included rape and choking. Her mother, Christine, spoke about picturing her daughter with her coat on now when she remembers the scene from the stairwell and that she views her being more protected than how she was originally found because those images haunt her. Do I think Tess went into the stairwell willingly? No. But I do think she went willingly up the driveway and willingly kissed him. And maybe she was willing to do more because of her heartache, just desperately trying to forget the pain, and maybe even get back at her ex in some way. I mean, we've all been there to some degree. At least I know I have. I've made out with strangers at a bar and walked hand in hand along the night streets. Could Kalen have choked her as he did consensually to other partners in the past and it got out of hand? Did he try to go further and she stopped him and he got angry and attacked her? I can't say, and unfortunately I can't seem to find that information in my research. But consent can be given and retracted at any time. And just because you kiss a guy drunkenly in a dark driveway does not mean that he can do whatever he wants. Women aren't teases. They aren't playing games. They are allowed to change their minds or not go all the way because they don't want to. Not every kiss ends up in sex. So I think it is more likely that Tess tried to stop him from going further and that he attacked her. But again, even if it got further, it doesn't mean she still can't say no. And as a quick sidebar, I also hate the term non-consensual sex, which was used to describe the porn he was viewing. But let's be clear, it's not non-consensual sex, it's rape. There's no such thing as non-consensual sex that simply undermines the severity and that it is a crime. Stop using that term and call it what it is. Kalen Schlater was actually convicted of first-degree murder on March 23, 2020, after a six-week trial. Following the trial, the family sued both Kalen and Toronto Police Services. TPS also held an inquiry into the actions of the two officers that were called to check the location Tess was last seen prior to her being found. It was determined that they did not canvas or search the area properly upon discovering it was her last known whereabouts, and that they failed to notify their superiors. The officers were charged with neglect and misconduct. I know Tess's disappearance in conjunction with three other missing persons cases at the time led to the formation of a dedicated missing persons unit, but again, I'm not sure of the outcome of the lawsuit or the officers who were charged. What I do know is that a mother has lost her daughter, siblings have lost their sister, and Tess Ritchie lost her life in a senseless and violent act by a man who was out that night with the intention to harm. If not her, it was only a matter of time before he killed. While I'm devastated for her family, I hope that there is some comfort in knowing her killer was brought to justice and that he can never harm another woman again. Thank you for listening to the story of Tess Ritchie. I'm your host, Sean Marie. Join me next time for another story.